How many gay historical figures do you know? Probably not that many. Most of them live their lives in secrecy, and history books tend to ignore any rainbow flags that someone might present. But they existed. They were people just like us, writers and innovators and artists and leaders, and they don't deserve to hide any longer. We're your hosts, Mary Rogers and Eileen Yamamoto, and join us as we uncover the ghosts in the closet. They were very close friends. Gal pals. Collie. Best friends. Independent. Companion. Rebellious. Roommates. Um, weren't they just queer? You're listening to Ghosts in the Closet with Mary Rogers and Eileen Yamamoto. Hey everyone, I'm Mary. And I'm Eileen. And welcome to Ghosts in the Closet. Today's episode takes us back to the Edo period in Japan, where we'll dive into the ways of the samurai, or should I say, the gays of the samurai. <laughs> Turns out that Japan has a rich history of homosexuality, and Japanese warriors were at the forefront. Of course, before we get into this fascinating history, let's hear about some more recent queer news. Disney has announced that it will pause political donations in Florida. This move follows a wave of intense criticism due to the corporation's hefty donations to supporters of the Don't Say Gay bill. CEO Bob Chappick apologized for his lack of earlier action, but activists in Florida are hardly satisfied. We're not entirely sure how to remedy this, but making Elsa gay would be a good start. More on that subject, students in Florida and around the US are staging protests for the Don't Say Gay bill and other homophobic and transphobic legislation. Of course, the politicians in charge might not think much of it. After all, with laws revolving around kids' well-being, who cares what they think, right? Chile's first gay couple married after a law allowing same-sex marriage finally went into effect this week. This is a huge milestone for the LGBTQ community in Chile, and a much-needed reminder that although progress is slow sometimes, the joy of these moments makes the fight worth it. Yeah, that's honestly so awesome. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Pretty cool. If you were to think of historical or ancient Japan, you'd probably have a pretty clear picture in your mind. One of samurai, great wave paintings, etc. What you're thinking of is the Edo period, or Japan's two centuries long isolationist era. The Edo period in Japan was between 1603 and 1867, and was characterized by peace, economic prosperity, rich art and culture, and of course, the samurai elite. Yeah, they said... Nobody's coming in. (laughs) Nobody. They closed the borders. At this time, Japan was led by Tokugawa shogunate. The shogunate was basically like the monarchy in that it was hereditary leadership of the country, which was passed from generation to generation. The biggest difference is obviously that the shogunate was a military entity made of samurai. Technically, the shogun was under the control of the emperor, but the emperor was pretty much just a symbolic leader and the shogun had the real power. What some people don't know, however, is that the samurai had an intricate kind of complicated history of homosexual relationships that gives us a lot of insight into Japanese society, values, and Japan's attitudes towards sex and love as a whole. So let's get into it. It's worth noting here that Japan had very open attitudes towards sex during this time. It wasn't seen as a shameful or taboo thing, and the Shinto belief system, which was foundational for Japanese society, was quite sex-positive in general. This is important context when considering Japan's early relationship with homosexuality and the overall sexual fluidity of the Edo period. 
During the Edo period, there was a prevalent practice called wakushudo, or shudo, between samurai and their younger male apprentices. In these cases, the older samurai would mentor the younger one, who would learn about everything from virtue and duty to life skills and fighting. They would also develop a sexual relationship and would be lovers until the apprentice got older and set out on his own. These relationships were incredibly close and idealized by Japanese society. It was seen as a mutually beneficial partnership. While the younger samurai would receive a high-end education and an honorable position, the older one would receive loyalty and dedication. The practice was encouraged and celebrated within the samurai community and considered an incredibly high-class thing to do. Hmm. So this was like high society kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, so it is important to note that these were pretty large age differences and the boys were often as young as their early teens. So no matter how normal this was, we obviously don't uh, condone it. And there were obviously a lot of issues with the power dynamics mm-hmm. going on. So we're not going to pretend like this is some, you know, pure Japanese, you know, samurai love story. Yeah. It was a, a very common part of culture. It was a tradition. It was not necessarily a morally correct, it by today's standards, uh, tradition. Yeah, definitely can't ignore the issue with the age gap there. And some might be able to draw parallels between that and like a grooming kind of situation. Mm -hmm. But it definitely still is just very interesting to hear like the views on homosexuality in general at at this time in Japan. Um, And the idea of it being like a very high class, like elite practice is so so interesting. And like it was also like the sexual portion was also just one part of it. It was like a learning thing. It was a a thing to demonstrate that you're going to like go play in life. Very interesting. Um, and yeah, it was like only really talented young men could be a part of it. It's right. so interesting. And so yeah, we don't condone that kind of age gap power dynamic situation, but we do, however, want to bring light to its prevalence and normalization in Japanese society. So shudo became very commonplace during this time, which is very evident in the artwork and works of literature of the era. There are a lot of stories and paintings, and if you ever like want to look at them, there are plenty. And it's really hard to fully express how normal and accepted it was. So to help us do so, we're going to talk about a few historic examples of shudo and homosexuality in Japan. Our first example is a man named Oda Nobu. Nobunaga. Yeah, <laughs> Our first example is a man named Oda Nobunaga, who is regarded as one of the three great unifiers of Japan. He was an incredibly powerful samurai, feudal lord, and government leader who successfully unified nearly half of Japan. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. His life was filled with battles and conflicts and betrayal. So if you're looking for a juicy read, I would recommend his Wikipedia page. It really is. It's so juicy. I mean, I guess it's just the life of like... The man, a man who united Japan, but <laughs> there's so much drama. Like, no wonder they make a lot of TV dramas about it because yeah. his life was very interesting. So Oda Nabunaga had an incredibly close attendant by the name of Mori Ranmaru, and it's very likely that they had a sexual relationship with each other, like many men of their time. The devotion that Mori had for Nabunaga, however, goes a bit deeper than that. At the height of his power, Nabunaga was betrayed and attacked by an associate named Mitsuhide Akechi. Mitsuhide staged a surprise attack on Nabunaga while he was at a temple, and Nabunaga's forces were unable to resist. Rather than be caught, Nabunaga decided to commit seppuku, or what the samurai considered an honorable form of suicide. Yeah, very common uh, for the time. 
In his final moments, Nabunaga asked Mori to light the temple on fire so his body wouldn't be captured. Mori did, and then returned and joined Nabunaga in what is regarded as a classic Japanese tale of honor, devotion, and duty. So Mori Ranmaru is a very respected figure, a historical figure in Japan because of this like moment of devotion. Right. I'm getting strong um, Romeo and Juliet vibes <laughs> from this story. Yeah, and it's, I mean, the story is like full of twists and turns, obviously. It's like a huge kind of famous battle. Right. Um, and yeah, it's, it's been popularized in so many, you know, movies and television shows. And knowing that they were like almost 100% likely to have also had that homosexual relationship is interesting because just like thinking about like this huge, one of the three great unifiers yeah. of Japan, one of Japan's most beloved figures, um, Oda Nobunaga. And like, yeah, he he was also homosexual. Like he, he had gay vibes. No, it, it definitely <laughs> gives context. And it's just, yeah, it, it's a cool fact. Like, I just think it's interesting because like duty and honor and whatever and devotion is so intrinsic to like Japanese society in Japanese right. values and then you look back and it's like they were also very deeply intertwined with with homosexual love and yeah. sex and it's just kind of an interesting yeah. thing to think about so here is a much shorter arguably less deep example of homosexuality in the Edo period so Tokugawa Iemitsu, who was the third shogun of the Edo period, um, he was the grandson of Tokugawa Ieyasu, who was one of the, if not the most important, um, one of the three great unifiers of Japan. Like the whole Tokugawa shogunate is named after this guy. Okay. And so this guy is Tokugawa Iemitsu's grandfather. Um, so throughout his life, Iemitsu held mostly homosexual preferences. Uh, this is documented. And so here's here's just a quick story. So when Iemitsu was a young man, he was in love with his child childhood best friend Sakabe Gozaemon. However, when Iemitsu was 15 and Sakabe was 21, they had a falling out, and later when they were in the bathtub together, Iemitsu killed Sakabe. <laughs> that is, so that's, that's it. That's the story. That... <laughs> He's like, you, you crossed the wrong person. <laughs> and they, so they were like in love. They had a lover's quarrel. I would kill to know what the falling out was about that it led to a bathtub murder and also what a choice like they were both in the bathtub <laughs> like things definitely would have gotten a little messy <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just again another interesting story that just like it just seems like it's from a drama TV Seriously, show or something. Like, who does that? And again, an, an important part of Japanese history, an important story in Japanese history, that where homosexuality was just, like, not even the main part of the story. Yeah. Which, again, speaks to how normalized and, like... Just, like, just accepted. Accepted it, it was. And again, like, there's no hiding here for, for these guys. Right. Okay, so now we're at, what, two out of the three, um... What are the... Great unifiers of yeah. Japan. Right. I actually need to look into the third one to see if he has any, like... It's... I'm sure he has, like, gay descendants. I'm wondering if maybe, like, they looked at, like, sexuality as, like, I don't know, almost somewhat of, like, a trust exercise. Mm -hmm. Like, even if... Even if there isn't romance there, it's just, like, you're closely knit and have this, like, intimate bond with the person you're, like, fighting alongside with. Right. Or what have you. So this next one is... 
one of my favorites. So a lot of the stories we've talked about have revolved around, again, like we were saying, sexual relationships. And though there was clearly a lot of devotion, we can't really be sure of the exact emotions that the men were feeling. So thank God for letters. <laughs> Our favorite activity on this oh podcast, gosh, reading seriously. letters. So the following are some excerpts from a letter from um, Samurai Mashida Toyonoshin to Moriwaki Gonkuro. So their story is a very interesting one. It's, it's again, very soap opera-esque. Okay. Um, and this is a very condensed version of it. So Mashida and Morikari were... Okay, like switching between the American and Japanese pronunciation. <laughs> Mashida and Moriwaki were together, but another male suitor came on to Mashida. When Mashida rejected him, the suitor became enraged and challenged him to a duel. Which, okay, pretty juicy that. already. <laughs> like, if someone swipes left on you on Tinder, <laughs> wait, or swipes... Yes, yeah, yes. Left on you on Tinder. Left. You like you. Don't act like you don't know how Tinder them. works. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, I digress. So, um, the suitor became a raid, challenged him to a duel. Mashida asked his lover Gonkuro for help, but Gonkuro basically said, "Deal with it yourself." He was like, I don't want anything to do with this, whatever. So Mashida was really angered by this. He was like, I can't believe you're not helping me. What the hell? (laughs) And so Mashida agreed to the duel. And the night before, he sent a very heated letter to his lover, Gonkuro. Um, And so here are some excerpts. (laughs) There's a lot because, like, I I just couldn't choose. All right. It's just too good. And I get to take the pleasure (laughs) of reading them. So here's the first quote. First, I made my way at night to your distant residence a total of 327 times over the past three years. Not once did I fail to encounter trouble of some kind. To avoid detection by patrols making their nightly rounds, I disguised myself as a servant and hid my face behind my sleeve or hopped along with a cane (laughs) and lantern dressed like a priest. No one knows the lengths I went to in order to meet you. So we've got some disdain here. Seriously. You don't appreciate me. Yeah, look what all that I've done for you. (laughs) He counted. That is so funny. He counted. And also he dressed himself as a priest. (laughs) Oh, that is so funny. Imagining him, like, pulling up in all these different costumes, like, oh, no, you didn't see me yesterday, and then someone else. <laughs> I can also imagine him, like, angrily writing this letter, like, how dare you? And so... I hobbled in with a cane. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's obviously very mad at um, Gonkuro for, yeah. for not helping him. <laughs> Next up, we have, remember last year, the 20th day of the 11th month? <laughs> I was... Gr- <laughs> I was he had a receipt. The 20th day of the 11th month. <laughs> I was gravely ill with worry about you, I am sure. And my mother stayed at my bedside all evening. I was convinced that I would not see morning, but the thought of dying without one last meeting with you was unbearable. I cursed the light of the rising moon and made my way in disarray to your door. He really loves the guilt trip. I know. He was like, by the way, remember when I did this? I was gravely ill with worry about you, I'm sure. And I didn't didn't add it because it was like really long. But like after that part, he says that when he knocked, he didn't answer because the other guy was in there with someone else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. This really is just like a modern day soap opera. Yeah. It's so funny. And so he's pissed off about that. Damn, bro. Next, last spring, I casually wrote the poem, My sleeves rot, soaked with tears of jealous rage, and with them, alas, rots my good reputation, ruined for the sake of love. Okay, so true poem. On the back of a fan, you took it and said, The cool breeze from this fan will help me bear the flames of our love (laughs) this summer. How happy you made me. But shortly, it came to my attention that you gave the fan to your attendant, Kichisuke, with a note across the poem that said, This calligraphy is terrible! (laughs) Oh my god! 
Can you imagine? I just want to reiterate. The cool breeze from this fan will help me bear the flames of our love this summer. Oh, that is too good. But seriously, he gave the fan to somebody else and wrote this calligraphy is terrible. Like, like that's a tough pill to swallow it's for just, a boy. It's Yikes. so funny. It's giving toxic relationships. Yeah, he's clearly like obsessed. Like, this is like an eight scroll eye message paragraph. <laughs> seriously, oh my no. god. I just think it's so funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, like we he also remembered every single one of these instances. No, like he had those receipts. Like, that's just so funny. This has been he like in him for a while. Yeah, I he's think. just been like waiting to pour yeah. this out. It's very interesting that, well, like obviously not all of the relationships have, were like romantic between like samurais, mm-hmm. but in this case, very clearly, this man is like honestly obsessed, like a little obsessed. bit too head over and heels. And if there's I would anything say. to like indicate romantic love and affection, it's jealousy. Yeah. And this letter is nothing but jealousy and like just such, such bitterness. a good point. Yeah, no, such absolutely. bitterness. But like it all comes from a place of like love and obsession. So next. On the 11th day of the fourth month. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, he has a calendar marked. Yeah, like, that's the time, day he did this. I think he this. must, like, write his diaries really in-depth. Yeah. And then just, like, he goes back and reads them and gets pissed off about them again. Seriously. So, on the 11th day of the fourth month passed, the Lord ordered all of his young attendants from the inner chamber to practice horseback riding. Setsubara Tadazemo was kind enough to tell me that the back of my skirt was soiled and brushed it off for me. You were standing directly behind me, but did not <laughs> tell me about it. In fact, I saw you exchange amused glances with Kozawa Kurojiro. After our years of love together, such a thing should never happen. <laughs> this man is petty. It's he really also though, like the his lover Gonkuro. Like they've been together for years. I cannot believe he didn't tell him about the dirt on his skirt. Seriously, imagine that is violent. It's also I think. Something about, like, the way he mentions the names. He's like, Setsubara Toraizemo was kind enough to tell me, and he's like, you were exchanging glances with Kozawa. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very, like, like, middle school. It's middle school gossip. Like, he had the names, he has the dates. Seriously. It's, like, that experience, the experiences he's talking about are just so modern to me. Yeah, oh, like, very. Like, being embarrassed because your lover didn't point something. It's like, I get home and I'm like, like, with Alex after dinner, and there's spinach in my teeth the whole time. You know I will be getting <laughs> mad at her for not telling me that there's spinach in my teeth. This is true. Isla's girlfriend has a tendency to uh, be very honest. <laughs> she will not let any bits in your teeth slide. She will not. As it should be. Unlike yes. unlike our boy Konkuro. <laughs> Konkuro. Yeah, who did not care about anything. Like, he he definitely was like with other people too. It's yeah. This is definitely a little bit of a one-sided romance, yeah. I would say. So this long, petty letter ended with... Uh, <laughs> It's so, like, those were literally, there was, like, that was, like, a third of the paragraphs of similar things. Oh, my God. Just, he just went on and on and grievances. on. Grievances. And this guy's reading it, like, uh, yeah, I bet he just, like, stopped reading halfway through. Like, <laughs> like, what is this? That's so funny. So, it ended with a poem, and after the poem was this, um, final remark. Mm-hmm. Though I hold this and that grudge against you, the fact that I cannot bring myself to stop loving you must be the work of some strange fate. To weep is my only comfort. For the sake of our friendship up to now, I ask you to pray, even if but once, for my rebirth in paradise. How strange to think that the impermanence of this world should also affect me. 
So very sweet. And yeah. Because I think you have to remember that um, he sent this letter the day before his duel, so he was prepared to die. Yeah. So he was like, okay, gonna die. Time to get all my grievances out. Serious. He went through, like, <laughs> stages of grief. Like, he was, like, furious at first. Like, <laughs> screw you. You did this and that. And then he's just, yeah, like... Yeah, he says, pray for my rebirth. Yeah, like, the reality kicks It's very sweet. Yeah, like, they're just people dealing with relationships just like we are with heartbreak i mean he with heartbreak you know his only comfort is weeping that is so sad but <laughs> but our heartbreak doesn't really end in like duels <laughs> this is true if only it did so obviously our podcast is about forgotten and misrepresented homosexual historical figures um which we've talked a bit about today but it's also about forgotten and misrepresented homosexuality so this issue holds a special place in my heart being japanese and knowing what japan looks like for a queer person today so we've talked a lot about how commonplace homosexuality was during the edo period though it was most common in samurai shudo relationships the country's attitude towards sexual fluidity and romance in general suggests that romantic queer relationships probably weren't too uncommon either Mm. right like i can't imagine that with all the shudol stuff and with you know all these revered figures and it being a high class thing i cannot imagine that if someone wasn't a real romantic queer relationship it would be something that was weird or i do want to say we haven't mentioned any women in this episode because like it is not talked about at all we don't like we Mm -hmm. we hardly know because in these cities they were so concentrated with men right in samurai and like like, the population of men was so much higher, that's where all the homosexual activity was coming from. So there's um, definitely just, like, a major double standard <laughs> when it came to homosexuality. Yeah, but also women were probably getting it on and we just, like, don't know much about so it. So I'm um, gonna have to do some research into that, however, but, you know, today was about samurai and yeah. um, I don't think women could really be samurai, but that'd be a cool topic for an anime. Mm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. I'm gonna make it. Yeah, do it. Right. Alright, so when did everything change? In Japan's case, we actually have a very clear-cut answer. So the Meiji Restoration began in 1868 under Emperor Meiji and ended the Tokugawa shogunate's reign of power. During this time, Japan ended its isolationist policies, opening itself up to Western influence. So Japan finally opened the doors, and uh, it rapidly industrialized, adopted many Western ideals, part of which was negative attitudes towards same-sex relationships, which is unsurprising. Um, so yet another thing ruined by westernization. <laughs> yeah, and like it's hard to tell what kind of you know choice they really had. But again, they industrialized. Like it, it was characterized by a lot of economic growth. Um, uh, I just can't imagine the like immense culture shock in that like period. Like, oh, absolutely. But yeah, unfortunately, part of the westernization was also kind of a disdain um, and an yeah. otherness towards same-sex relationships. And so though um, shudo practices continued to a lesser extent for a few years, you can't really just like, get rid of something that's so important in the culture. Right. Um, Japan eventually began to completely reject homosexuality and even criminalized it with the nation's first sodomy law in 1873. That is just so sad. 1873. Yeah. That is not 20 years from when shudo practices were in full-fledged it's it's weird because it's just completely like denying your own like it's like a self-burn if that makes sense like this is a part of your country for a long time i wonder i'm sure there's been a lot of trying to like justify it from scholars where it's like oh it was about honor it was about devotion it was about sex but it was about queerness like it was a about homosexuals like i just yeah it's just so it's interesting the contrast like there's a clear tie between like such a looked down upon frowned upon thing and one of the most like 
highly held um like symbols of yeah. Japanese history. Mm-hmm. It's like you can't just like ignore half of it. It's, yeah. Exactly. Um but turns out you can. <laughs> so Though there are no explicit laws against homosexuality, and there are some laws protecting queer people from discrimination, like in in jobs and stuff, um, in Japan, being gay often means being silent. It's just not something that you talk about. Even the nation's largest political parties haven't addressed or really taken a stance on the matter, so it's not a political issue there because you just don't talk about it. Wow. So should we be satisfied with silence as a form of tolerance? No! No! You know, it's, it's always easy to be like, well... It could be worse. Yeah. But if it's not, if it's silence, it means you're you're stopping people from expressing themselves. It, it really just is sad, like, that they move so far in the wrong direction mm-hmm. in this particular area, right. not among others. Yeah. So, yeah, there are, though there are several LGBTQ plus celebrities and politicians, right. you know, it's not as reductive as some other uh, societies. The reality is that Japan is not a place where most queer people would feel comfortable freely expressing themselves. So basically, being gay just doesn't fit into Japanese society's expectations of what a person or a family can be. Um, Japanese family standards are very strict, very, you know... The silence connected to homosexuality, do you know if that's based in any, like, religion at all, or if it's more just a social thing? It's it's a social thing because Japan's really, like, Shintoism, um, Shintoism was very sex positive. And then for Buddhism, the Shudo tradition actually came from Buddhist monasteries, where Buddhist monks would actually take young apprentices. And then that tradition came into the cities and became shudo with samurai. So there's even a richer history so of homosexuality. Yeah. So it's it's not a religious thing. It's just society. And I mean, Japan very much is also like a society that values privacy and right. that kind of thing. But again, it's just you, know, you don't you don't talk about it. Hopefully, Japanese society can maybe not look to the samurai as an example, <laughs> <laughs> but closely you know more closely consider its historical roots and then think about in a time when japan really was flourishing in a time that so many japanese people are proud of today what it meant to love freely and what it meant to consider all types of love as a regular everyday part of culture life and death beautifully put (laughs) thank you this is an issue very near and dear to my heart (laughs) (laughs) okay trivia time okay uh, so this time, I, I like our habit of just changing up the style yeah, just doing every random week. Games. So I drew inspiration from your, is this actually from a gay love letter or did I make it up thing? <laughs> okay. Um, this game is called, did a widely respected public figure say this homophobic quote or did I make it up? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Wait, that's so good. I'm so excited. I really don't know if the ones I did sound I'm so real. excited to hear your like made up homophobic <laughs> quote. <laughs> I was like writing them. I was like, what am I doing? Like, just like writing homophobia. But you know what? I support it. It's all fun and laughs. Yeah, it's all fun and laughs and homophobia. (laughs) All right. First one. Same-sex marriage is like counterfeit money. Um, I think it's real. It is real. (laughs) Okay, I was like, that seems like the nonsense, something so nonsensical that someone would like say and think it made sense. Oh my gosh. Okay, so it was by Penny Nance, um, a leader of the organization called Concerned Women for America. (laughs) <laughs> she was so concerned. She really was. Um, this was after the 2015 uh, legalization. In 2015? Yeah. I that was like the 80s. <laughs> no. 
And I bet she was thought she was like so clever writing it. Like it's like counterfeit money. Like she like, thinks she's girl, a poet. Shut up. Ugh. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah, because it doesn't really make sense either. No, like <laughs> good for you, Penny. Okay, next one. If gays are granted rights, next we'll have to give rights to prostitutes and to people who sleep with St. Bernards. Like, 100% true. It's gotta be. It is. is I was like, again, I feel like people who are homophobic just have such an insane way of putting things where they like to, like, equate gay people to literally anything else. Yeah. That they don't respect, which is, like, prostitutes, like, you should respect prostitutes and sex workers, but, like, people who sleep with St. Bernard, like, like like just saying, like, oh, I also think it's funny that she's, like, like, we'll also have to give rights to prostitutes, like, they they already have rights, they're people. Also, they deserve rights, they're human, so who said that? Okay, yeah, so this was said by a beauty pageant winner um, and singer named Anita Bryant, um, who made this shockingly dumb statement. It was in the 70s, um, and it was during her Save the Children campaign, which worked to repeal anti-discrimination legalization <laughs> across the nation. That is so funny. At a passion, too. I can just imagine her, like, on a stage, like, with a sash and a crown. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I think if we give rights to homosexuals, we're giving rights to prostitutes and people who have sex with dogs. Like, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just, like, quiet in the audience. Yeah. Was, like, Everyone's like, did she just... Yeah. <laughs> Either that or it was like a standing ovation. Yeah, like, you know what? Yeah, probably. Ugh. Okay, next one. I support required readings in schools, but the gay agenda shouldn't be one of them. I think you wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote it. I like that one. That's very like with the times, I would say. That's basically the don't say gay bill. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> ugh. Okay. Is it me or are the gays everywhere? Hashtag makes me sick. You wrote that one. I did not. I'm serious. Okay. It was by, this is a tweet by a popular British soccer player named Andre Gray. It was like recently. I excluded some of the worst hashtags. So it was, is it me or are the gays everywhere? Hashtag burn, hashtag die. Like, and then hashtag makes me sick. He actually posted that. He wasn't even hacked. (laughs) And then he like released a... A, uh, an apology. He was like, I'm sorry, you know, I, no, I didn't mean to. Like, no, you actually hate- You can't be like, I didn't mean, like, yeah, you did. You literally said die, burn. Like, like that's crazy. I think the hashtags are like clearly just like hatred, like bigotry. The, is it just me or gays everywhere is kind of funny to me. On its like, own without the hashtags? Dude, me when I walk into like an RTA class. <laughs> I walk into class, I'm like, so it's funny. just me, are there gays everywhere? Anywhere on the Ryerson campus. <laughs> on the Ryerson campus. Oh, we support... Or X University. X, yeah. yeah, excuse us. Oh, so cute. <laughs> hashtag burn. <laughs> hashtag burn, hashtag makes me sick, hashtag die. <laughs> Moving on. I think prisons in our country should separate the LGBTQ plus inmates from the rest of the population. I think they like that too, and they could, you know, put on musicals together and that sort of thing. You made that up. Yeah, I did. That is such a genius idea. I was just like, homophobic people say really dumb things. They do. I gotta say, your homophobic stuff sounds very real. Okay. Next one. All right. LGBTQ plus people are the most vicious champions of cancel culture because of their nerd rage from being bullied in school. That one kind of hits home. (laughs) Um, It's true. It is Who true. said that? That is I, so funny. You're gonna love who said this. Oh god. A Mr. Rogan, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> of course he, he said that. He actually said that. I like the generalizations he makes. Number one, 
all gay people do cancel culture. Yeah. Number two, all gay people are nerds. Yes. I think he's onto something. <laughs> Wait. Nerd rage. That is so Nerd funny. Rage. This is probably coming. He's outraged because he said like a gay slur online and then someone got mad at him for it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, I can't believe these these nerds and the, the gay people yeah, are crazy. Yeah, they just got bullied. They're reflecting. <laughs> yeah, also like, like on the serious note. Yeah, it's absolutely horrible. When you consider like what he's actually saying. It's an easy coping mechanism to laugh at some of these mm-hmm. horrible things. And we are again laughing at these horrible things. And I, like sometimes you have to. Like... Oh my god. There's a lot absolutely. of hate out there. You have to be able to laugh at it. Laugh at the Westboro people. Laugh yeah. At it, and know? I think part of that's like part of growing up as a queer person and coming of age as a queer person is learning to laugh at those things because there was a time when these quotes would have really like made me bad. But now yeah. I can kind of separate them and understand that these things are not right and do not make sense. Completely. And so, and are hilarious. <laughs> and are hilarious. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we do not support Joe Rogan. Yeah, seriously. Um, okay. And lastly, people who menstruate. I'm sure there used to be a word for those people. <laughs> Someone help me out. Wumben? Wumpund? Wumud? Mrs. J.K. Rowling. Ding, 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 I ding, know ding. this one. I know. Oh my god, I knew you'd she, know it. She should have just shut up. Like, she really said that. She, she really... should have shut up with her money in her castle. <laughs> and now instead, Castles? she has decided... Castles? Decided to be openly transphobic, transphobic for no reason. Literally no reason. None of it is affecting her. And she loves to also say on Twitter, like, Guys, guys, I have always been a supporter of trans women. I have trans I friends. Trans women. But... But also, I'm ex- <laughs> like, no, you do not have trans friends. It's just... Oh, that tweet especially... It's like, what are you trying to prove? Like, just keep your mouth sh- Yeah, like, who are you mad at? Like, you saw Literally. a commercial for tampons. Like, this is great for people who menstruate. And you got angry. Like, just say woman. Yeah, as like- if that, like, terminology is important. It's, like, especially in academics, I respect that people really pay attention to the language you use. But why are you putting an incredibly marginalized community down for the sake of a simple thing that, again, yeah, like, making has a point. no... Like, you're just like mad basis. that people are using inclusive language. Yeah, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, it's really annoying when people get angry that they have to be more inclusive or that they're, they should yeah. be more inclusive. Like, do you not want to, like, not mess with other people's, like, lives? Like, yeah. I don't know, it's just... Especially someone like J.K. Rowling. But yeah, like, I don't you know, know why you're surprised. Ha- yeah. Miss Cho Chang. <laughs> oh my gosh, Miss Dumbledore's gay. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, we do not, we are not fans. We are not big fans. We are Harry Potter fans when we were children. Yeah. And it hurts. I, I still yeah I love Harry Potter it's it a big part childhood. of my childhood it's for a lot of people but it's you can't ignore when people with so much power and, right. and privilege choose to say these things exactly. and have this influence you can't it's look just, past it. yeah so that concludes well uh, that was absolutely lovely it's nice being able to make fun yeah of that kind of thing i think it's a very useful yeah you skill to <laughs> exactly you make especially these days sometimes i very much appreciated that thank you mary indeed And that's it for this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed learning about the Edo period and Japan's historical homosexuality. I sure did, Mary. So feel free to message us if there are any stories or topics you think we should cover next, or if you're a queer student who wants to feature their work on one of our episodes. And of course, follow us at Ghosts in the Closet Podcast on Instagram. And as always, I'm Mary. And I'm Ailey. And we'll see you next time to uncover more Ghosts in the Closet. Ooh. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> spooky. But not really. <laughs>